Let us kneel before the Lord our God, our Maker. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our God, our Maker. For He is our God, and we the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand and the sheep of his hand. Good morning, church. Good morning. Good morning. It's so wonderful to see you all uh, on this beautiful Sunday morning, and what a beautiful day we yesterday uh, here in Richmond. I know we're all enjoying the cooler weather uh, from what we were having before. Please turn to number 103. Uh, we will, in our call to worship, Psalms 100 will be read in just a moment. And the song that we just sang and this song that we're about to sing have words from Psalms 100. And just a beautiful psalm. And I know you'll recognize some of these words as we sing them. 103, and then we'll have our call to worship. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. I will say this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. He has made me glad. He has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. He has made me glad. He has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me to the Glen Allen Church of Christ. God has blessed us with a beautiful day to come together and worship, and uh, I'm very happy that, uh, to see everyone and happy that you made the decision to come here and worship God with us this morning. If you're visiting us, please know that you're our honored guests, and we're very happy that you made the decision to come spend your Sunday morning with us. Our uh, reading for the call to worship this morning will be, uh, as Kelly mentioned, Psalm 100. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. If it's convenient, please stand for the first song, starting with number 144. Oh, worship the King, all glorious above, and gratefully sing his wonderful love. Our 
shield and defender, the ancient of days, pavilioned in splendor and girded with praise. Thy bountiful care, what tongue can recite? It breathes in the air, it shines in the light, it streams from the hills, singing number 19 we'll sing a medley of three songs 19 20 and 21 come thou almighty king help us thy name to sing help us to Yeah. 
morning. Would you please pray with me? Dear Lord, thank you for this wonderful day that you've blessed us with. Thank you for allowing us to come here together and enjoy each other's company in your house. Lord, we thank you for all the many blessings that you've bestowed upon us and in our daily lives, the, the big and the small, uh, and those we haven't even recognized. Lord, we ask that you would please be with all of us in, on our daily walks as we uh, worship here today and, and we rejuvenate our spirits and, and we rejuvenate our faith and, and guide us and protect us as we uh, leave here today and help us to, to always carry uh, you in our hearts as we go through our, our, our lives. Uh, it's, it's a battlefield out there, Lord, and it's a struggle every day uh, to, to try and keep you at the forefront of our minds. Lord, we ask that you would please be with all of those who are sick, who are hurting, who are on our prayer list, and, and those who, who are in our hearts that we have not uh, publicly put on our prayer list as well. Uh, there's a lot of unspoken prayers out there uh, that, that we really need to keep in our minds and in our hearts and, and, and uplift those uh, to you, even though we don't know what they are, uh, we know that you know. Lord, we ask that you would uh, forgive us of our sins uh, as we stumble and we fall and we do our best to pick ourselves back up and, and look to you for guidance and, and make sure that we keep your word as a shining beacon on our path. And, and Lord, we ask that you would listen to our hearts and hear our spirits sing. In all these names we pray, amen. Another song uh, with the words from Psalm 100, those beautiful words. I am a sheep and the Lord is my shepherd, watching over my soul, my soul to Constantly watching over me. 
taking the Lord's Supper today, beneath the cross of Jesus. <clears throat> beneath the cross of Jesus, I fain would take my stand, the shadow of the mighty rock, Thanksgiving, our family spent some time in the Outer Banks for a little vacation. We brought along some puzzles to put together as a family, and we ended up getting quite a few laughs while doing them. If you think about puzzles, what they are are actually little pieces that when looked, when looked at individually mean nothing, but when put together, 
make a whole entity, which is a picture. It's the same thing when he looked at stained glass. Pieces of glass that individually mean nothing, but when put together, make a whole entity, which in many cases are beautiful windows. Each week, we partake of the Lord's Supper. We remember that because of our brokenness through sin, Jesus had to endure the cruel death on the cross. If you look at the emblems we partake, we use just a little piece or fragment of bread and a little taste or fragment of the fruit of the vine. But when you put those two little things together in the context of what they represent and what we are remembering, they represent the whole entity of the body and the blood of Christ, which he came to earth to give for us. Let's pray for the bread. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you as we do each first day of the week to remember your son, that he came down in human form to live among us. He taught us many great lessons. He performed many miracles, but most of all, Father, he came to die for us. Heavenly Father, as we partake of this emblem, which represents his body broken for us, may we do so in a manner pleasing unto you. For it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Pray for the cup. 
Heavenly Father, we continue this remembrance with the fruit of the vine, Father, for we know that it represents your son's blood, which was shed for us through the nails and his hands and his feet, the piercing in his side and the crown of thorns that was placed upon his head. Father, we knew how much blood he shed for us. We truly know that we never deserve to have that done for us. We are thankful nonetheless, and we pray that we partake of this emblem in a worthy manner. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Each week during our service, we take time to remember how much we are blessed and give back to the church. It is easy to have faith that if God wants us to have a new facility or to reach the lost through our various ministries, that it will just happen. But I don't see that as a very strong outlook. James 2.17 reads, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Our giving is an action, and I believe that it only helps to strengthen our faith, our faith that God can and will use our collections each week to further his kingdom. Let's pray for the offering. Heavenly Father, we come before you now to give back to you. We know, Father, that you do not need what we give, but we give because we know that you have blessed us more than we could possibly imagine. Heavenly Father, we pray that each of us gives 
with a willing and cheerful heart, Father, and may the monies collected be used to reach those who do not know you as their personal Lord and Savior. We ask all this in the name of your Son. Amen. Scripture reading this morning will be John chapter 4, verses 1 through 24. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. <clears throat> Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Our are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem you will worship the Father. 
You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in truth, in, in spirit and truth. We'll sing this before the sermon, and if you will please stand with me as we sing this song. to the Lord and to have fellowship with each other as we do so and be mutually blessed by each other's presence and each other's faith. The woman had probably hoped to get to the well and back home as quickly as possible. After all, it was midday, it was getting hot, and carrying water is hard work even when it isn't. But in midday, it was going to be even harder but she got to the well and she got detained by a stranger who struck up a conversation with her. Turns out this stranger was a Jew and he had the audacity to ask her for a drink of water. She'd probably never had anything like that happen to her before in her life because most Jews would not be caught dead drinking after a Samaritan because they didn't get along and the Jews believed the Samaritans to be unclean. Then he started talking to her about this living water. And it really got her curiosity up. And the, the idea of living water and not having to come to the well and draw <clears throat> sounded so, so good to her that she began to get really interested. And then he seemed to kind of change the subject. And, and it turned out he wasn't talking about water after all, but he was talking about eternal life that would well up within her. 
And just when she was really getting interested, he said, go call your husband. She tried to do an end around that subject because as she acknowledged to him, she said, I have no husband. And he said, you're right, you don't. You've had five. And the one you now have is not your husband. And this made her pretty uncomfortable, I think. And so she decided to change the subject as quickly as possible. And so to do it, she brought up the ages-old argument between Jews and Samaritans about which is the proper place to worship. She said, I foresee that you are a prophet. And the implication is maybe you can settle this question. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, Mount Gerizim in Samaria. And you Jews say that in Jerusalem is where men ought to worship. You see, hundreds of years before their time, the, when the Jews returned from their exile in Babylon in order to rebuild the temple, the people who'd stayed behind, the Jews who had not gone into exile, a lot of them had intermarried with non-Israelites. And this was against Jewish law, and so there was considerable tension and resentment about that. And when those people came forward and said, we want to help with the rebuilding of the temple, the returned exile said, no, you don't have any part in this. And so in anger and with hurt feelings, they withdrew and they went northward into Samaria, hence they're being called Samaritans. And they built their own temple on Mount Gerizim. And they said that this is the right place where people ought to worship. And not only did they build their own temple, but they created their own body of scripture. They took the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis through Deuteronomy, and created what came to be called the Samaritan Pentateuch. And the Samaritan Pentateuch differed in some respects from that used by the Jews in Jerusalem, but the, the most significant way that it differed was they added an 11th commandment. And the 11th commandment, guess what? Said, you shall worship on Mount Gerizim. And so the Samaritans believe this is where we're supposed to worship. The Jews said, no, it's got to be in Jerusalem. That place in Samaria is, is just a renegade uh, holdout, and that shouldn't happen. And so you had that tension. And so they had a, a different place of worship, and they had a different scripture. And the Samaritans, on top of that, rejected the rest of Jewish scripture because it indicated that Jerusalem was the right place where God should be worshipped. Now, even though the Jews had destroyed that temple on Mount Gerizim long before her time, this was still the hot-button issue between Jews and Samaritans. And so the woman thinks, this is the ideal thing for me to bring up. So we can get that, that hot spotlight off of my marital history. Let's talk about the question that we've always talked about, which is the right place to worship. So perceiving that the that Jesus was a prophet, she diverted attention from herself and her checkered marital history to the standard question, which is the right place to worship. Now this Jew she was talking to turns out to be Jesus of Nazareth. He didn't let her off so easily. He didn't just drop the subject or didn't get involved in that big discussion. In fact, he explained to her that the question that she was asking was rapidly becoming entirely irrelevant. He said to her in verse 21, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. 
The hour is coming when it's not going to matter about either place. Neither one of them is going to be the place that God seeks to be worshipped. And then in verse 23, he says, Then the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. So he says, this business about where's the right place to worship is not the issue. It is not the question. You may think it is. It may have been for a long time, but it really isn't the question. Simply put, he said, the time had arrived when both Mount Gerizim and Jerusalem had lost their significance as the place for the worship of God. And he said, in true worship would be decided not by the place where it happened, but by the kind of people who offer it and the way in which they offer it, in spirit and in truth. Now, I know you've heard that expression at least a thousand times, haven't you? Anybody here heard it less than a thousand, maybe 9,999? You know, you've heard that expression a thousand times, in spirit and in truth. We talk about it a lot. We mention it a lot. We hear it in our prayers a lot. People will pray that our worship will be in spirit and truth. I've even heard people at the end of a service pray, God, we pray that our worship has been in spirit and in truth. And I always find that interesting. Like, if it wasn't, does the prayer mean that now it is? You know, does that somehow change it? What's our understanding of what we mean by in spirit and in truth? What does that mean? How do we know that our worship is in spirit and in truth or not? We need to know because Jesus says that's the only way to worship. That's the real issue now, he says, is in spirit and in truth. What is it that God is seeking? What is it that God is after? So up until this point, this morning, have we been worshiping in spirit and in truth? Do we always worship in spirit and in truth? Have we ever worshiped in spirit and in truth? Have you Ever worshipped in spirit and in truth? Are you worshipping in spirit and in truth today? You see, these are not insignificant questions. Now, there's been some suggested explanations down through history about what that means. The most common one is this. It's a contrast, we're told, between inward and outward. It's a contrast between worshipping God inwardly with your spirit sincerely as well as the outward acts of worship that we do. It's even been explained as being, you know, right on the inside and right on the outside. So we're doing what God said to do. We're doing the proper acts of worship, doing them the proper way. But at the same time, something's going on internally. Something's going on within us. And so we set up that contrast. And we say, but it's got to be both. That's what Jesus meant when he said worship in spirit and in truth. But that doesn't seem to me to explain adequately what Jesus says in this context. That that might be a fine explanation of worship in some settings, but I don't see Jesus talking about that here. For example, what does that have to do with the woman's question about Mount Gerizim or Jerusalem? What does that inside-outside thing have to do with that? Also, according to verse 23, in spirit and in truth, has to do not with just how worship is done, but with the kind of people who do it. The kind of people who do it. Jesus said, the Father is seeking such people to worship him. He's seeking in spirit and truth people to worship him. 
It's not just about the way that we do it. It's about who we are. So there must be more to it than simply the contrast between inward and outward. So let's go back to the woman's conversation with Jesus. And let's see in what ways her understanding of worship was deficient. What's missing? And maybe that will help us understand what in spirit and in truth actually means. First of all, she was so focused on the correct place of worship that you notice she didn't even mention who is worshiped. She didn't even mention God. She just mentions the place. She doesn't say, your understanding of God is not as clear as our understanding of God or something like that. She just says, it's the place. Is it Mount Gerizim or is it Jerusalem? So she's focusing on the place and not on the person. Secondly, she had an inadequate understanding of God. And we know that she did because in verse 22, Jesus said, you worship what you do not know. She was worshiping that which she did not know. And so he corrects her thinking. He says, by the way, you know, this place question is becoming irrelevant, but you Samaritans are wrong. You do have it wrong, he says, because salvation is from the Jews. And Jesus doesn't, hes Jesus doesn't hesitate to tell her that. But because she, like other Samaritans, had only a five-book Bible, she had missed a lot of what Scripture says about God. That may be hard for us to imagine, but somebody whose Bible is only Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Think about that. That means that she, like other Samaritans, had missed out on all that the Psalms say about God's holiness and his faithfulness. She didn't pay any regard to the shepherd psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. He restores my soul. She didn't know any of that. She didn't know all that the prophets had said about God's holiness and his justice and his mercy. See, her God was too small. Because she had this abbreviated scripture. And so her abbreviated view of scripture gave her an abbreviated view of God. He was a lot more than she thought that God is. But then the third problem is that her Samaritan faith would never have led her to the Messiah. It would have never led her to the Messiah. She didn't have those prophets pointing to the coming of the Messiah. She didn't have Isaiah 53 talking about the one who was despised and rejected among men. and The one who, like a sheep before it shears is dumb, was led to the slaughter. He was bruised for our iniquity. She didn't have that. She would have never, by following the Samaritan faith, come to the Messiah. Now, verse 25 shows she did believe in the Messiah. Don't, don't miss that, because she, she says... When Jesus starts really kind of arousing her interest spiritually, she says, we know, that, we know that when the Messiah is coming, he was called the Christ. He will explain all things to us. When he comes, he can answer all our questions. He can tell us. He can answer. He can settle this Mount Gerizim, Jerusalem thing once and for all and all those other questions too. So she did believe in the coming Messiah. She believed in the Samaritan Taheb, but not the Messiah who would arise out of Israel. And that's why Jesus says in verse 22, salvation is from the Jews. 
because it was from the Jews that he came. And so he says, salvation is from the Jews, and you, you've missed it. And rejecting Judaism put her in danger of missing the Messiah completely. And so he makes sure that she understands in verse 26 when he says so clearly, I who speak to you am he. When she brings up that question, Messiah, we know that when the Messiah comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus says, I who speak to you am he. Had she just stuck with her Samaritan faith, she would have missed the Messiah. So she was focused on the place of worship instead of the God who is worshiped. She had an inadequate understanding of God, and following that, she would have missed the Messiah completely. So starting from her worship, which was not in spirit and truth, let's go back to the question, what does it mean? What does it mean to worship God in spirit and in truth? And first of all, we can conclude that it means to be focused on the God who is spirit rather than on the externals of worship. It means to be focused on God instead of everything else. It doesn't mean that nothing else matters. I'm not saying that. But it means that the central focus has to be on God himself. Have you ever found yourself in a service, maybe it's 10 to 15 minutes into it, and there's been the songs and the prayers, and it suddenly occurs to you, you really haven't thought about God. You've said the words of the songs, you listened to the prayer, or you didn't listen to the prayer, whichever. And it suddenly occurs to you, I haven't really thought about God. That maybe you've been sitting there and thinking, you know, whether you're comfortable or not and, uh, you know, how odd the person in front of you looks from the back or, you know, <laughs> some of those other things that we do in church. You know, and, and thinking about what you're going to eat for lunch and what you're going to do after and all those other, are we thinking about God? Are we focused on the God who is spirit? For the woman, the big issue was where? And it should have been who? And Jesus says God is spirit, and that's what leads to the necessity of worshiping him in spirit and in truth. We have to recognize him for who he is and worship him as such. Got to worship him for who he is. In spirit and in truth does not mean simply doing the right things at the right place in the right way. It means focusing on the God who is spirit and truth. And then our worship begins to be in spirit and in truth. It also means that worship isn't about what I like and don't like. See, that's the focus on me. When we come away from worship and thinking about what we liked and what we didn't like, we've not been thinking about God. We've not been thinking about his son Jesus. We've not been thinking about the enormous sacrifice for our sins. We've been thinking about what we like or don't like. Listen, let me tell you, the solution to the church's worship wars is to get the focus off of us and onto God. That's what the woman was missing. So to worship in spirit and in truth means to be focused on the God who is spirit and in truth. Secondly, to worship in spirit and in truth means that our worship and the worshiper must reflect the character of God as we worship. He is spirit and truth 
So both our worship and our lives have to be in spirit and in truth. If you are not living a truthful spiritual life, you cannot adequately worship God. You can't worship in spirit and in truth. You know, we've used this expression in the church a lot of times, our worship being acceptable. And it's a good phrase. That's a good, good expression, acceptable worship. We want our worship to be acceptable. We're going to talk about that some more later when we talk about Hebrews 12 because we're told to offer up acceptable worship. But we've defined acceptable worship on the basis of doing the, what we call the five acts that we have outlined and doing them properly, not doing them improperly, not changing anything. And that makes worship acceptable. Listen, folks, you can do all of that. And if your life isn't right, your worship will never be acceptable. It doesn't matter how technically right you get it. If your life isn't right, your worship can't be right. It just can't be. For example, someone who habitually lies cannot worship in spirit and truth because God is a God of truth. So how can you worship in spirit and truth if you're not a truthful person? How can you worship a God who is holy if you're an immoral person? If your life is consistently filled with uncleanness, how can you worship in spirit and in truth if, you're, if your mind is continually focused on that which is unholy? We cannot do it because he is entirely holy. And that's the reason Jesus brought up the woman's marital history. That's why he brought that up, because she's going to have to do something about that in order to be able to worship God in spirit and in truth. She's thinking, I can stay with this sixth man to whom I'm not even married. I can continue the life I've been living as long as I do my worshiping up on Mount Gerizim. Jesus says, no, 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 my sister. There's got to be some changes. Your life's got to reflect the character of God. Or you can never worship in spirit and in truth. And then third, worshiping in spirit and in truth means that God can only be worshipped through his son, Jesus. He can only be worshipped truthfully through his son, Jesus. When Jesus said the time is coming and now is, what was he talking about? He was talking about himself. He was talking about his own coming. Because he has come. The time has been coming. It's in process of change. He's going to go to the cross and going to die. And once he does, everything changes. Once he does, everything changes. And so he says the time is coming. It's here now. When this business about Mount Gerizim in Jerusalem is going to be entirely irrelevant. He's talking about his own coming. That changed everything. Now he is the key to knowing God. Now he is, as he will say in John 14, the way and the truth and the life. And no one will come to the Father except through him. So if you don't come to the Father, if you don't approach God in worship through Jesus, you're not worshiping in spirit and in truth. You can't do it. It's impossible. Regardless of how sincere a person's worship might be or how deeply felt or how zealously offered, if it's not centered on him, it misses the mark. I know people look around and they see, they see folks who don't believe in Jesus at all, but they worship. And they're so 
sincere about what they believe and they're zealous about what they believe and maybe they're sacrificial about what they believe and we, we respect that and we look at that and, and we're tempted to say, maybe that's okay. Maybe God accepts that. If it doesn't go through Jesus, it's impossible. No one comes to the Father except by me, Jesus says. That's the truth. And you cannot worship in truth if you deny that. You simply cannot do it. So what did that woman do once she learned about the living water and perceived that this prophet was more than just a prophet? Once he had said to her, I who speak to you am he. Well, changed everything for her. She was finally open to the truth about God. She was finally open to the reality that God is much more than she ever imagined, much more than she'd ever been taught. She finally has opened up about the truth about her, her religion, that it was too narrow, that it was truncated, that it was abbreviated, and it would never lead her to the Messiah. And once that realization came to her, she ran to tell other people so they could worship in spirit and in truth also. And once we recognize what it means to worship God in spirit and in truth, it will change everything for us too. Let's bow and pray. Father, we worship and adore you today and thank you we love you for who you are. We love you for sending your son Jesus into this world to die for our sins. We praise you, Father, for your goodness, your greatness, and your love for us. And we pray, Father, that everything we do, that we ever attempt to do in worship to you will be in spirit and in truth because it reflects who you are and it reflects the way that we're striving to live. Bless us, Father, and help us to continually see you more clearly. In Jesus' name, amen. You're only going to be able to worship God in spirit and in truth if you're following him who is the way and the truth and the life. So if you're not yet today, it's time to do it. It's time to confess Jesus, that he's the only one who can lead you to God. It's time to be baptized into him, into his death, raised in the likeness of his resurrection. It's time to have that new life that is in spirit and in truth. If you're ready for that, come and tell us. Let's stand and sing. I am resolved no longer to linger charmed by the world's delight. Things that are higher, things that are nobler, these have allured my
Thank you, Tommy, uh, for the lessons. Good to see everybody here uh, this morning. If you are visiting with us, we're especially uh, grateful. Or if you're visiting with us uh, online, which we probably have an increased number there because we have a lot of people traveling uh, this week. Uh, so we're grateful that you have uh, worshiped with us. Uh, just a few announcements. Uh, one, uh, we hope that you would stick around for classes following service. We have an adult class in here and uh, children's classes and other adult classes in the other building. Uh, and then tonight we have two classes, one at 5.30 and then one at 6. The 6 o'clock one is here in the auditorium uh, or the worship center. And then we have SNL at 5.30, uh, followed by the, uh, our fellowship meal at 6.30. Uh, we're having barbecue tonight. If you have any questions, you can see David or Luke about that. Uh, there's a sign-up genius, um, and so that'll be at 6.30 tonight. Always a good time. We hope that you uh, come to that. Uh, just a few changes of things that you see in your bulletin. Uh, one, the talent-sharing ministry is going to be postponed until next week. And then the men's fellowship that was supposed to happen this Thursday uh, is canceled um, until next time. Okay, so the talent-sharing ministry is next week. And the men's fellowship, uh, as of now, is canceled. We don't have a rescheduled date uh, for that one. Uh, today is the last day, from my understanding, to sign up for the uh, women's retreat. Huh? It's changing to the September 1st. September 1st. Oh, the sign-up? Oh, okay. So it looks like, <laughs> looks like we're giving you more time. Okay? Uh, so... You can sign up till September 1st for the ladies' retreat. If you have any questions, you can see uh, Taquana uh, about that or Lauren Miles. And the retreat is October 21st through the 23rd. Always a great time for the ladies. Um, and so they're giving you more time to sign up so that you can be blessed. What that tells me is people haven't been signing up. So do it. Okay? Um, I think with that, uh, we're going to sing Salvation Belongs to Our God. And when we talk about worshiping in spirit and in truth. The reason is, is because salvation has come to us all. So as we sing that, uh, let's be reminded. So turn in your little books, S51. Let's all please stand together as we sing this wonderful song, Salvation Belongs to Our God. 
Salvation belongs to our God, who sits upon the throne, and unto the Lamb be praise and glory, wisdom and thanks, honor and power and Father, we're very thankful once again to be able to come here today in your house and worship with fellow believers and a safe environment. We thank you, Jesus, for all that you've all that you've done and all that you continue to do for us. We hope that today that our worship, the actions of our worship, have brought glory and honor to you, and we pray that the conditions of our heart were pleasing to you today, in spirit and in truth. Father, we ask that you be with those of our number who are traveling this week and bring them back safely to us and keep them safe as they're away from us. We ask that you please be with those of our number who are sick and those around the world and those of our loved ones and friends who are sick and, and give them the care that they need to, to come back to a full, fulfilling life. Father, we ask that you be with those of us that are struggling with sin and that we ask that, that they find the help and courage from you to overcome that sin. And we ask that you please forgive us all of the sins that we have in our lives currently. Father, we ask that you please, please, behave, please spend special attention on us here in Glen Allen as we operate without the shepherds or elders. And we ask that you please be with us during our time without them and, and keep us on the straight and narrow path as you would have us and until we get that corrected and we have leaders that will keep us doing your work. 
We ask that you please this week as we are called to do your work, that you find us strong and courageous to be able to do that work. We ask that if we have friends or family that need to see the light of Jesus in us, to bring them to you, that we are there to perform that task. We ask all these names in your son's name, Jesus' name, amen.